Through CR, would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. Through CR, pays respect to elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nations. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is Three CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to late 30 a.m. Good morning, everyone. The time right now is 7 a.m. On the Wednesday, dot. the 8th of May, <laughs> and uh, you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Will. And I'm Edwin. Hello. Hello. Good morning. We're the only people in studio. This is true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, although, yes. whispers that we're going to be having new presenters next week. <gasps> Shh. Don't say it too loudly. Otherwise, you know, someone might hear you. Yeah. They <laughs> the might universe s- might. Snatch, snatch those uh, yeah, might psych us, um, presenters away from us. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm very excited yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, how have you been, Ivan? I've been... Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I had one of those weekends where you don't do the work you're supposed to mm. and you thank yourself for it. Oh. So <laughs> I slept in both days. I, I took it really slow. It was fantastic. That's so good. Mm. Nice. Mm. Yeah. And when we have some spare time, I also have an exciting story. So. Oh, okay. Ooh. Cool, cool, cool. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, well, I mean, we've got alternative news. And, you know, I never really have anything much to say during alternative <laughs> news. So we could probably do it then. We could probably do it then. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's, what's up with you, Will? Uh, my parents are in town um, over, over the last week. They came down <laughs> from Indonesia right, where they're yeah. living. And um, we, we spent some time together. Um, importantly, they took me out and gave me lots of food, and that was really nice. Um, <laughs> right, right. Because, I mean, what else are parents for, really, um, if not to, to feed you for free when they're in town? Um, oh. So that was really nice. Thanks, Mum and Dad. Um, and now they've headed back. Uh, I think that's that's all I have to say. Uh yeah, should we talk about what's coming up in the show? Yeah, sure. We've yep. got a really packed show. We do, we do. We've got a lot of interviews. Um, folks may remember James Brennan as one of my co-hosts on Monday, back in the Monday Breakfast days when I was on that show. Um, James is now going to be speaking to us about I Choose Humane, which is a campaign by the Refugee Council of Australia mm. asking voters to choose humane policies when it comes to their election choices this year in, re- in regards to asylum seekers mm-hmm. and refugees. Um, humane policies are very few on the ground, um, and so they're not telling you who to vote, the I Choose Humane campaign, but it's pretty clear at least who you shouldn't be voting for. Yeah. Um, so it'll be great to have James on the show just to talk a bit more about that, um, and that's at 7.15. And then at 7.30, we're having some in-studio guests. Um, we're having <laughs> Marty O'Connor from the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, and Wes Mountain from The Conversation coming in to talk about unionising digital journalism. Um, and so digital journalists, um, they don't have the same protections or the same uh, charter of rights that uh, print-first sort of old-school publication journalists do. Um, and, you know, this is due to a number of factors. Mm. They're quite young. It's in young industry as well. And so mm. um, it'll be great to have them talking about that at 7.30. Then 7.45... We're speaking to an old guest from um, from Wednesday breakfast. Shannon Lachlan is a um, is a citizen walking for climate action, and so at the moment he's in Batlow, or at least has just taken off this morning from Batlow, um, and will be walking from uh, Coburg North all the way to Canberra. 
kilometers, more than mm-hmm. 700 kilometers, and that's uh, to protest government inaction on climate change. Um, it's to actually be doing something because um, he's spoken about a sense that our generation, that is people in their late 20s heading into their 30s, just under Gen X, um, are kind of disengaged from climate action. Like, it's easy to look at, like, people who are in high school, younger people, and, like, see how engaged they are on the climate emergency. And so that's part of why Shannon's walking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's 7.45. What's coming up at 8? Well, coming up at 8, we're continuing the environmental kind of message mm-hmm. with um, an interview with Haley from Frontline Action on Coal, and she'll be talking about the movement they've kind of going, got going up in Queensland out front uh, Adani, protesting primarily Adani. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be great to get her kind of look in on that coming up to it. Um, a lot of these groups coming up to election have stressed that this is a climate change election. Mm-hmm. And that's it's being pushed by groups like Extinction Rebellion, who we've had on, but mm-hmm. also FLAC, Frontline Action on Coal. So it'll be great to get her kind of perspective of where we're at. Fantastic. And then at uh, 8.15, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Melissa Slee from... Uh, Sorry, earlier I meant to say that Marty O'Connor was from the MEAA, yes. the Media <laughs> Entertainment um, uh, That makes a lot union. more sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it does make a bit more sense. Um, because it's Dr. Melissa Slee who's coming from the NTEU. Uh, right. And they're having a uh, sit-down-and-speak-out event today um, for casual staff at the University of Melbourne. Casual staff, as we know, do not have the same rights um, and do not receive the same treatment as full-time workers mm-hmm. and... Um, it's to an extent that's just not un- it's just not tenable and it's not right um, yeah. in higher education. So, Dr. Slee will be talking about that and how um, if you're a casual worker in education, you can get involved in this action happening today. Thank um, you. So yeah, pack show. Yeah, pack show. On. Union show. stuff, environment, mm. um, and let's stay tuned for alternative news. We'll be right back. Absolutely. Some folks know about it. Some don't. And you are still listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, it is currently time for alternative news. Now, what what can we what constitutes alternative news? It's stuff that's not really covered very well by the mainstream media, mm. or it's stuff that you might not necessarily hear at all. Mm. And um, here's one that we might not hear for a little while, just because it hasn't hit that level of prominence yet. Um, folks listening may be well aware of the steady. Like when I say steady, I mean sharply, steadily sharp decline of democracy in Turkey yeah. um, under President Erdogan. And um, uh, the most recent feature of this was the annulling of the election results for the mayor of Istanbul. Um, a gentleman named uh, Ekrem Imamoglu 
was served as mayor of Istanbul for only from only the 17th of April until the 6th of May this year. Um, Ekrem Imamoglu is um, a member of the Republican People's Party, so not a fringe party. Mm-hmm. They're basically the main opposition, and they class themselves as social democrats. They are the Kemalist Party, Kemal, the, the, um, one of the founding fathers, fathers of Turkey. Um, so it's not as if, you know, a, a surprising progressive candidate won, but in the climate of declining democracy in Turkey... Um, you know, the, the Republicans people, People's Party sort of represented a threat to the AK party, which is the ruling party's um, conservatism and um, increasing authoritarianism. And so um, the AK party challenged the results of the election, which was won by initially 25,000 votes, but then after a protest and a a plea for a recount, mm-hmm. um, the margin was then 16,000 votes, and then it was later on the um, on the 6th of May that the Supreme Court of Turkey, um, which is not called the Supreme Court, but mm-hmm. it's, it stands in for the same thing, um, annulled the result of the vote. Now um, we're seeing uh, huge numbers of people um, in major urban centres protesting. When I say major urban centres, I mean mostly around Istanbul protesting the um, the actions by the AK party under Erdogan. Um, and, yeah, so it's just something to keep an eye on, that, um, you know, that a, a state party can come in and annul uh, local politics because mm. it doesn't suit their, their vision for the future. And um, it'll be something for us all to keep an eye on. No, definitely. That sounds like an interesting kind of thing to watch. Um, so back home, kind of in Australia, I, I've got a little bit of rant to do about the upcoming election, <laughs> and it's it's not too much, but I've been caught up in a few arguments with people, and what we what was really come out of it is this cult of personality rhetoric. Now, obviously in Australia, we vote on a preferential, not presidential, platform, and I think this is really important just for audiences. Is we do not get to elect our leader. If anything, the leader that we've been electing you know, previously has been swapped in and out through countless leadership spills that have just been going on. And people seem to have a very short-term memory over this. So the main argument I've been getting into is, well, you know, I don't like this candidate or I don't like that candidate. Oh, why? Mm, he's a bit cringy. Oh, he's a bit, you know, not quite that great. Cringy? Cringy. Aren't they this, all cringy? This sort, of, this sort of rhetoric. And the problem is there's no substantive argument behind it. And I think what scares me going up to this is people are going, oh, well, I liked this, you know, previous politician. That doesn't matter. Unfortunately, we are faced with our election with the candidates we have. Um, It's really important to keep in focus within this election that we need to look at policies, not personalities. Um, And due to this, my alternative news, it's more my alternative action, I suppose. But seven days leading up to the election, um, I've made myself a big shirt with policies, not personalities, to emphasise this. Uh. And I'm going to be busy wearing it. But I think it's just really important to separate ourselves from this American kind of rhetoric of the cult of personality mm. in leadership. Mm. I mean, within we, we Australia is one of the best democracies in theory through the fact that we have preferential voting and, you know, party-led politics. Uh, our electoral model. Our electoral um, model. Is mm. That's why I'm emphasising theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we, we have one of the best practising democracies, and people are forgetting that and swapping it in for a cultural model of... America, on America's presidential platform. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't know, I, Will, I find that 
rather frightening because we, we're not going to get a president. And honestly, we don't want a president. Presidents have executive orders. Presidents have a weird, odd fascination where they get risen to godly level. We shouldn't be calling our prime minister Mr. Prime Minister. We should be calling them, you know, Mr. Scott. Scott. Yeah, <laughs> because raising them above us means that they become above us, mm. you know, and the yeah. whole point is that we're supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, mm-hmm. for the people. So that's just my little mm. encapsulated rant. Um, but, yeah, I think... Also, within our discussion about kind of, you know, union issues and media issues and environmental issues, mm. it's really fantastic that leading up to the election we've got such a packed show because we need to be hearing concerns behind these policies and these interest groups going into the election so that we're not voting for a person. We are voting for the people. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, that's my yeah. thought. So I'm, I'm just basically celebrating today's show, really. <laughs> it's like the 360 of that. Awesome. <laughs> Um, I think it might be time for a song. I um, think so. Can you tell us about Every Day, Every Day? Yeah, so Every yeah. Day, Every Day is by Stav. Um, you might, guys might have remembered from my happy, eager ranting that I've been to the National Folk Festival this year, which is where I, um, I met this wonderful woman. Uh, they've been on 3CR for a little bit now, so you might recognise them. But yeah, enjoy their song. This is by Stav. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. That was Every Day, Every Day by Stav. Uh, the time right now is 7.16, to be precise, and we're going to move on straight on to our first interview of the day. Uh, the I Choose Humane campaign is a new campaign by the Refugee Council of Australia asking voters to insist on humane policies for people seeking asylum. With the federal election only 10 days away and early voting already open, we have spokesperson and former Monday Breakfast host James Brennan on the phone to tell us a bit more. Good morning, James. Good morning, everyone. That was a great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. Um, You're not unaccustomed to waking up so early, so I'll jump straight into it. Um, So we're talking about policy surrounding um, the treatment of asylum seekers and refugees in Australia, it seems that the status quo is the abject deprivation of basic rights. Um, so this campaign is not a tall order. No, it's not. And I guess um, to start with, I, guess the, the choose, I Choose Humane campaign has got um, a five-point platform. Um, and I'll just read out what the... Um, you know, what those points are, and if you want, we can go into more detail of those. Yes, um, So number one is to end offshore processing. Number two is to treat people seeking asylum fairly. Number three is to a reform of the immigration detention system. Number four is a larger and more responsive refugee and humanitarian program. And number five is Australia's improved engagement in Asia. So I think, you know, they're quite kind of broad um, it's called the Platform for Change. And they're, they're quite broad sort of statements in themselves. And if you go to the choosehumane.org.au website, you can see the platform, um, you know, in, in a lot more detail. And I would encourage people to do that. You can also take the pledge there, which is saying you kind of agree with those um, points there. Um, so we are encouraging people to do that as part of the campaign. But, yeah, it is, it's quite a broad um, spectrum of things to cover because... It is, I guess, a very divisive um, issue within Australia, and but I would say probably hasn't played as significant a role in the election, uh, I think, as many people may have predicted. Yeah, OK. Um, so uh, we could probably drill down into some of those um, topics. I think, number one, 
the permanent end to offshore processing. That's quite prominent. A lot of our listeners will already be familiar with that. Um, and if they turned up to the Palm Sunday rally um, not too long ago, um, that was a major cry um, from the crowd to close Manus and Nauru. Um, how about number two, a fair process for claiming asylum? Um, what what does that look like? Does I Choose Humane have a point of view on what fairness looks like in in the in the process of claiming asylum? Um, I guess yeah, because I guess fairly is uh, you know quite a subjective sort of wording that is used. But I mean, I guess it's the opposite of that is saying that really the system that we currently have is unfair, you know, and I think that that's why. Just the words of, of humane in the title of the campaign as well is that it's really highlighting that the system currently is unfair and not humane. And I guess it's just looking at a system that would provide, I guess, support and services to people as they're going through the process and have government funded kind of legal advice, um, you know, independent reviews to make sure that the uh, government is adhering to the Refugee Convention, you know, those kind of things, which it seems it sounds kind of, I think, a little bit silly in a way because it's really just saying that you need to abide by the law, which, uh, unfortunately, the government isn't abiding by international laws. Mm. And so if a party... You've got the three major parties, um, Labor, the Liberal Party and the Greens, listed um, with their their various policies and sort of judged to be either positive or negative. Um, if If someone's got a positive... Uh, rating, generally it just means that they want to follow the laws that we have currently, but also improve on them. What are some improvements that um, that can be made? There's there's something to do with um, abolishing TPVs and chevs? Uh, yeah, I think that any kind of um, temporary uh, visas are, you know, there are, they, they allow people to live in a temporary state of confusion and, you know, trauma, uh, all of those kind of things that mean that they're not, they're not able to just go on and deal with the kind of daily things in their life. It, it's really being a part of, it's, I guess, a slightly um, less severe version of people who are in detention, be that offshore or onshore detention, where you're constantly in a state of not knowing what you can do. You know, you and I can think about what we might want to do in six months' time or years' time or, you know, plan things further ahead of what we want to do with our lives. And if you're in a constant state of not knowing whether you're going to be approved to have a permanent residency, whether your refugee process is going to be, uh, you know, processed fairly and, and have the, what kind of outcome that has, you can't plan for things in your future. And I think that that's a really big deal. So that's, that's about the, um, the TPVs and, and, you know, other kind of, um, non-permanent visa arrangements. But yeah, there's a, there's a whole list of things which, um, you know, really just, I guess, it's, I would say it's at the, the lower end of the scale. Of, like, it's certainly not a revolutionary kind of platform of, of change mm. towards uh, refugees. And I, I think that, you know, what the campaign has been doing, um, we're working in Melbourne with, uh, in, in particular, in the Kuyong electorate and the Maribyrnong, Maribyrnong electorate. So the campaign is targeting uh, not, you know, Greens, uh, candidates or, or trying to necessarily influence the election per se, but but actually try to work with the Labor right and the Liberal left, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, I think that has been a, 
quite an interesting aspect of the campaign as well. Mm. There's, that's happening across uh, the country as well. That's interesting. I noticed in the in the platform, or at least the um, the Charter of Demands um, in I Choose Humane, there's no um, sort of out and out uh, demand to abolish uh, immigration detention altogether. Um, number one singles out the the first demand singles out offshore processing, but not. Um, immigration detention altogether. Was that for strategic reasons? Was that because um, I Choose Humane thinks there's value in the detention? I think well, the um, part three of the platform talks about reforming immigration detention system. And when you go further into that, it says that, you know, there needs to be set out time limits for detention. They need to ban detention of children and set out rules that ensure that people are detained only as a last resort and that any detention is regularly and independently reviewed. I think that it is certainly a strategic point to be able to try to, I guess, particularly take this kind of platform, you know, to the Labor Party, is that there's, I guess, most kind of people are thinking that Labor is going to win, and um, I guess particularly it, it, it would be hard work to get Liberals to take on some of this, uh, platform, but you know, I mean, that's that's part of the project is to get some of those people to work within their party. But I think that the Refugee Council, um, as a whole, kind of sees that there is perhaps an avenue to get some reform within the Labor Party. And if you, I think, if you double down into the language, it's really not supporting any detention, but mm. it's using language that perhaps the Labor Party can publicly support. Speaking in a language that they can actually hear, as opposed to having to sort of reactively push back against. Yeah, so. and I mean, we saw at the Labor Party conference uh, a couple of years ago, I think before the last federal election, that you know there was unfortunately a, a really big deal made about supporting um, boat turnbacks, and a lot of the significant trade unions uh, were played a significant role in supporting that motion. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really the the aim of the campaign is to sort of get to the um, the more malleable parts, the less sort of hard right factions of the Labor Party, Labor Party, and what sounds like the majority of the Liberal Party. Um, what is the likelihood of this campaign having its intended impact? We're heading up to a, an election where people uh, parties have to kind of double down on the policies that they already have, lest they be called flip floppers. Um, yeah, what, what's the hope that we'll actually see results in terms of electoral results, but also in terms of policy change? Well, I, yeah, I'm not going to predict any um, election results sure. for um, want of appearing a fool later on. But <laughs> um, I think, you know, most people are predicting Labor to win, I guess. And I think that, you know, while in a lot of refugee policies, I'm not sure that there is necessarily a difference, but I think that there is a little bit more ground to put pressure on on Labor Party to make changes to their policy. Well, I mean, what is the chances of it having an effect? I, I think it's, you know, it isn't necessarily while the campaign is being taking place during the run of the, of the election and leading up to that day, you know, it's going to be events throughout that either externally uh, organised that um, people are going along to or uh, members are doing themselves. I guess, you know, the idea is to continue beyond that as well and to form relationships with those that are elected 
to try to meet with them and to continue to have a, a working relationship to be able to put forward these ideas in the future. I, I think, you know, you mentioned the idea that if um, either politicians or, or parties themselves change their policy, that they are kind of accused of flip-flopping and that kind of thing. I think that's a really unfortunate part of modern politics because that it's just inevitable that that happens. You know, either things change, you know, there's an economic change, which means that you need to change your policy or, or you know, you're pressured from, um, you know, activist groups, um, you know, campaign groups to change. And that, that's a healthy part of democracy. Okay. Now, um, we're going to have to wrap up, so I'll just ask you really quickly to tell us about uh, Choose Humane Day. That's coming up on May the 14th of Tuesday. What what does that um, encapsulate? Um, well, we actually, well, on Saturday, um, we're having Choose Humane, um, a national day of stalls across the um, country. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be uh, we're asking people that have already signed the pledge or have had some interaction with us to come aboard and to help out with uh part of that if you know that we're all across the country if you want to be a part of that um so if you want to find out a lot of the events um are generally uh listed on the choosehumane.org.au website mm-hmm. or you can check out the um social media pages as well Fantastic. I've been speaking to James Brennan, who is a spokesperson for I Choose Humane and also former co-host on Monday Breakfast on 3CR. James, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Stay tuned for another great interview. CR Community Radio, 855 AM. volunteering contributes to a happier life? Want to know what you can do to make a difference in your local community of Whittlesea? Whittlesea Community Connections hold a volunteer information session every month. It is a friendly session where you get to meet others and be linked to not-for-profit organisations. Contact Michelle from Whittlesea Community Connections on 94016630 or visit our website www.whittleseacc.org.au to find out more. A 3CR supporter. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City limits. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code and follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR funded by the City of Yarra You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet 
www.3cr.org.au. I have to get the car service for the big drive on Friday. I'll make sure the kids are ready. I won't forget mozzie spray this time. Oh, and we can't forget to vote before we go. What? The federal election is on Saturday the 18th of May and all Australian citizens age 18 years and over must vote. But if you know you won't be able to make it to a polling place on election day, you may be able to vote early. To find out how, go to aec.gov.au or call 132326. It's our vote and our future. Authorised by the Electoral Commissioner Canberra. A 3CR supporter. And you are listening to 3CR Community Radio Wednesday Breakfast. The time right now is 7.31. And uh, we have two guests in the studio. Uh, Following a survey of online journalists, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance found that digital journals were working punishing hours and forced to work for wages below the award and often without credit for their work, proper credit. Um, That's why the MEAA is campaigning for a good jobs in digital media charter. And to tell us more about what that means, we have two guests in the studio, Marty O'Connor, who's the industrial officer at the MEAA, and uh, a multimedia editor and cartoonist, and um, uh, what's it called when someone's at a... At a union and representatives at their workplace. Delegate, there we go. Yes, sorry. Delegate or rep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you were referred to in an email by Marty as the superlative delegate. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Of the MEAA at the conversation, which um, recently won uh, your first EBA at the, uh, at the conversation. Um, can you tell us, Wes, what has this meant at your workplace? Um, I think firstly, before anything else, it's actually meant people understanding that they do have some rights um, in, at their, in their workplace, and, but that also you need to make sure those things are actually uh, written down on paper and that you have a good understanding of what they are. Mm. Um, but it's also meant that people aren't afraid of talking about those things, or um, and that's on both sides, actually. That was mm. one of the things that was really interesting, is that... Um, I think even on the management side, everyone when when we started the process, everyone was a little bit like, well, what what will this mean? Will we will, will I no longer be able to work from home or something like that? Because we'll have an EBA and suddenly things will be cemented and, mm. and we'll all have to work to this rigid timetable. And um, so a lot of the the process on both sides was just kind of you know an, an educational one. And then the the benefit, of course, at the end of it, after negotiations and all of the hard stuff, is that you end up with something that. Um, that cements what your work actually looks like and, and what you're entitled to. And this is something that had to be worked towards. It just didn't just happen overnight. And um, I imagine the MEAA had something to do with that as well, being the union um, that supports digital journalists. Um, can I ask you, Marty, you, you want this to happen to other digital journalism workplaces. Can you tell us about, the um, firstly, the, the poor conditions that digital journalists face? What, what are we looking at? Well, for one thing, some of the provisions in the award that covers journalists don't yet cover um, digital outlets simply because the awards can be a, be a bit anachronistic. Um, there are some exemptions in there that mean digital journos aren't covered. It's just the, the print legacy outlets, which mm. are getting rarer these days, as we know. Uh, and also, it just without it, when you're on sites where there is a union density and union legacy, people, as, as we're saying, aren't generally as aware of the, the provisions they can ask for. So mm. a lot of this is, and admittedly the unions come relatively late to organising in digital as well, given that it's no longer new media really, we're yeah. a few decades it's in, it's yeah. media, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's really, yeah, it's informing people of what their rights are and the fact that they can avail themselves of them. Mm, okay, and so um, how, how did things like the um, the EBA at the conversation come about? Um, like, how do, you, how do you make people aware 
that they should join a union and that they should sort of organise for better workplace conditions. Well, in this case, um, Wes, as a superlative delegate, <laughs> did actually reach out to me. He was yeah. already on the, the digital committee mm. um, that, that I was running at the time. There was a staff restructure that, that had got people a bit worried. Um, and then I came out to just discuss what a negotiation process would look like, how we'd prepare a bargaining position and then um, serve that on management. What helped was that there was a really swift take-up of um, union membership and also, to 90%. be honest... Yeah. That's what I read, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, really, at, at a new site, you want, if not a closed shop, which we've got now at um, Vice and Junkie, hey. go figure, um, you, you want something really strong. So it helped with the conversation that a lot of the journalists there were from a Fairfax or ABC background, so they were very union literate, right. um, which just meant, I mean, people hadn't been through the... Um, the embryonic process of, of organising, which is a bit more admin and discussions, but yeah, the, the, the literacy as to what the process was helped a bit. So then we and we got into a um, actually what was a really congenial um, negotiation process with management. It took a while to, to refine the position. Um, everyone was very involved, so absolutely to their credit. So um, yeah, we, we had quite a few meetings with uh, me and my boss and um, another delegate in Sydney via video link and just and refined an EBA that's now sort of churning through the, um, the administrative processes at Fair Work, but is effectively in place at the site. Yeah, we, we have actually basically started um, implementing everything from the EBA. Uh, I think Fair Work sent us an, an email basically saying these are our aspirational targets to process things, which, um, you know, aspirational targets are a hilarious kind of uh, target for um, industrial reform. Um, uh, but you know we may you know, we should hear back from them reasonably reasonably soon. Sorry, mm. um, but yeah, so, uh, Sunny Cray, who is the Sydney-based delegate, was also really good uh, around that. Um, and it was a really um, I think that's the thing that's the the good story, positive story about this is once the negotiations actually started, it was actually a really positive process. Mm. Um, and of course, you know there were occasional like major not major but you know major disputes about minor issues. <laughs> right. Um, but they were never you know acrimonious and and um and actually that was one of our big things in going back to staff was basically to tell them like you know we're not um throwing things at each other across the ro- uh, the room this is actually going really well and um and we're just kind of coming back to you um uh, to ask for like the small bits um that we want you know want you to be happy to agree to and and you know uh, the staff were really good around that as well yeah. Um, Marty made the point earlier about how um, quite a few of the journalists at the conversation had come over from Fairfax and had come over from other workplaces which are more um, sort of more of a union culture, I suppose, is, is the way to put it. So what, was it really that easy, just getting everyone to sign up to the MEAA, or was there, was there a bit more to it of education? Uh, it was a bit of both. So, yeah. yeah, there were definitely people who had that kind of Fairfax um, and to a lesser extent ABC background. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases... Um, you know, because they had gone through some of the really big restructures at Fairfax, some of them were even maybe a little bit more cautious around mm. kind of the, the union side of things necessarily. Not that that's any reflection on the union, but it's just that, you know, that they had gone through the hard stuff. So you know, some of them had been through redundancies and things like that. Um, but, yeah, on the educational side of it, it was like we did do a lot of talking to uh, uh, individual staff members around what their concerns would be around it and, you know... Um, Union dues are, are great and important, uh, and I think that, you know, people should pay them and, and, and look after their union. Um, but also, you know, it can be 
confronting the first time, you're like, oh, there's money involved here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what, what do I get about, what do I get for this money that I give, yeah. give the union? Um, so discussions around that. Um, and again, yeah, just around people not, I think journalists are, you know, necessarily, because, because of the personality you need, cautious people and, and somewhat suspicious. And, and so they, they want to know that, um, uh, I'm sorry for, for slandering all the journalists out there. Um, but they want to know, you know, what's going to happen here? Am I bringing in another another entity that I now need to, to fight or negotiate with? Um, and so it was just discussions around that. Mm. And as Wes was saying, there can be the view that um, amongst staff and management that the union's involved, now there are going to be these militant draconian policies or there'll be a... Um, a burdensome level of administration, whereas, I mean, what, what I like to impress upon people with an enterprise agreement, that there's no less flexibility than there was before. In fact, there's often, there are more flexible conditions. It's just that the existing benefits can be codified and um, and anything else can be improved. I mean, an enterprise agreement has to be as good as or above the award, plus you can whack in any other provisions that um, happen to suit you. But the idea is, yeah, there aren't suddenly these um, uh, over-administrated processes that the union's now going to force. Mm. It's not um, as... I was just reading this in the, in the Age this morning, um, the threat of union red tape, uh, which the PM has vowed to, to curtail <laughs> along with green tape by the green, uh, environmentalists. Mm. Um, uh, so if people want to find out more about the, the Charter of... Um, so it is a charter, isn't it? The good good jobs in in um, digital journalism char- charter. Yeah, we've yeah. got the good jobs charter. Yeah. Also, I mean, um, the the fact that the conversation has organised and has an EBA that they're yeah they're mm. charter approved and even above. Yeah. So people can absolutely contact me. You can go onto the um, MEAA website or our Good Jobs and Digital Media Facebook group. Mm. Also, you can find. Um, the MEAA on uh, Twitter. I was found you folks on with MEAA. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, fantastic job again, Wes <laughs> and, and and Marty on um, what sounds like a really great benefit to the workers at the conversation. Um, fingers crossed for for other outlets in the near future. Thanks, Will. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, you folks are listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll have another great interview coming up soon. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6 p.m. Tuesdays. We Need to Pay the Rent is a fundraiser for Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance featuring the Pretty Littles, Worst Nurse, Ute Root, No Sister, Face Face and a heap more. Come join us on Kulin Nation land to give back. It's well overdue. We need to pay the rent. Saturday, May the 18th at the Tote from 4pm. Tickets $20. Available from the Tote website, thetotehotel.com. Free or discounted tickets for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Contact organisers online to arrange. A 3CR supporter.
listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family. And even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855 AM. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. And you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, the time right now is 7.45, and it's time for another interview. On April 20th, Shannon Lochnane took on, off on foot from Coburg North on a 24-day walk to Canberra, protesting Australia's inaction on climate change. It's, eight, it's been 18 days, and Shannon has made it over the Murray River, across New South Wales to Batlow, which is south of Gundagai. Uh, good morning, Shannon. Good morning. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, weird question. How are your feet? Uh, not a weird question at all. The question everybody asks me, and they're, they're doing fine. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, um, we heard on um, you had an interview on Earth Matters, and you were talking about the vagaries of walking long distance. You have to change your shoes so that you get rubbed in different places. It's it's a whole thing, but Ow. that's that's not the most important thing that we have to talk about. What we have to talk about is the um the the message that you've been spreading along your um so far 18 days of walking and. Um, the reaction that you've had from the community. Can I ask you, what's what's the re- reception been? Actually, first of all, sorry, what are you walking for? <laughs> um, well, uh, broadly speaking, I'm walking for uh, very rapid and drastic climate action, um, and that uh, looks like lots of different things, but primarily what I'm asking for is the 
declaration of a climate emergency, uh, the rapid switch to 100% renewables, and um, net zero and net negative emissions by 2030. Yeah, okay. And so this, um, I mean, in the face of the climate emergency, these demands are not drastic and these are not mm. um, over the top. They're actually quite reasonable. Um, but they can be framed by the mainstream media as very far-left sort of lunar politics. Mm. Um, how has your reception been on the road? Um, it's generally been pretty good. Um, actually, in uh, Rosewood, my last stop, I was hosted by um, some Liberal supporters, and um, they were really into the walk and really into what I was standing for. So I think um, on the ground... Um, and when it's sort of couched in in this effort of the walk and in sort of a level of personal concern, um, people can really get behind what I'm doing and and do seem really concerned about climate change themselves. I think it's when we start talking about uh, federal elections and tribalism and um, blame-making and credit um, and point scoring, that's when things sort of become a bit politicised and we get divided into camps. But I think for the most part what I'm seeing is like the real concern for climate change across all groups of people. Mm. Um, so what's... You're, you're marching... Not marching. You're walking on the, the highways next to the... Not the Hume Highway. Is it the Hume Highway? Um, it's just, so I've sort of been walking mm. uh, parallel to the Hume Highway for right. a lot of the way. Yeah, you're um, not actually allowed to walk on the highway itself. No, no. and I wouldn't want to either because no. it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the last couple of days I've kind of gone more bush and mm. have really been on no discernible road for a lot yeah. of the time. <laughs> Can I ask fun. you about about the the sort of the country that you've been walking through? What's it like? I saw a video that you posted of... Um, of a whole herd of cows just sort of watching you from, from the side of the, the, the road. What's that like? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. I felt like I should be doing some sort of speech or <laughs> calling on them to vote for climate this election. Um, it, I've been walking through pretty diverse countries, so it's, you know, I've been through bush. Yesterday I was walking through some pine plantations. I walked through, like, active logging zones, which has been pretty disturbing. Um, agricultural land, suburbs, like I've been walking through all kinds of places really. Mm. And do you find that the, the difference in the way that the land has been treated as you walk across is reflected in the attitudes of the people that you've met or is this not the case? Um, well, actually things, it, it seems pretty irrespective of, um, people on the ground and how they feel, but I am seeing the effects of climate certainly like, in in Victoria, I was seeing a lot of very very dry land um, where where drought was happening, and then as I passed into New South Wales and into the high country where there's a lot more rain, uh, it's a lot more lush and green. So really, as ever, um, the land and the communities are really subject to the climate. So that, I think that's the thing. Like it, it doesn't matter what each of us feels about the climate. The climate's going to keep doing its thing. Um, you know, whether we act or not. So that's kind of what I've most appreciated on the walk so far. Mm. Now, I want to ask you about the end of your journey. Um, you're, you're expecting to arrive on 
sorry, I don't actually have the date here. On May 14th. On May 14th. Are you, are you on track to reach by the 14th? Yeah, so I've just got, um, uh, today I'm going to Tuma, which was my last sort of big day, and then I have a, a number of shorter days where I'm camping. Hey, okay. Um, and yeah, so far things are on track to get there by May 14th. Fantastic. And um, what's going to happen when you arrive in Canberra? Um, so I've got a bit of an event happening, um, which if anyone knows anyone in Canberra, um, please do get online and in, invite them to the event and help me share it around because I'd love it to be as big as possible. Um, where we'll have media and some politicians and I'll do a speech and sort of speak a bit about what I've seen and the, the project at large and then we'll do an official handing over of the petition to the politicians to be later tabled in a freshly revamped and restocked House of Representatives. Mm. And the, the petition, um, you've been collecting signatures at really diverse places like Brunswick Library, I know there was a petition at at the zoo, um, there's a petition here at 3CR, um, mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, if if people still have a copy of this petition in their hands somehow, yeah. um, what what should they do with it? Um, so that should be mailed off um, to Canberra and pretty pretty soon, so we mm. can make 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 it by the time I get there. Um, and the address to send it to is 12 Liverpool Street, Macquarie, in the Australian Capital Territory. Um, I think the postcode is 2614. Um, so, yeah, just within the next couple of days, send that off because um, I'll be there on Tuesday and I'd love to have all possible petitions with me. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, just onto a, a little bit of good news, not that it's um, sort of the, the groundbreaking event that we all need to sort of throw our hands up and say it's all done, but mm. the UK Parliament recently declared a climate emergency. Um, if, if this were to happen in Australia, what would be the implication of that? Well, I've heard a lot of talk of people being like, oh, it's just a symbolic action, doesn't mean anything, but I disagree with that. I think there's nothing wrong with a symbolic action because symbolic actions change culture, you know, and I think that's, number one, what we need to be seeing in Australia is a change of culture around the climate emergency. Um, I think so many people are very ill-informed um, and they take the message from at least our current government that climate change is not that serious, that we can afford to take very incremental, slow efforts, and that we shouldn't be worried. Um, so I think the declaration of a climate emergency would have a really powerful effect of of changing culture and changing minds and getting people to engage. And I think from there, that's a really strong place to be making some deep cuts into emissions and really scaling up renewables at a rapid pace. So I... I could not speak more highly for it. And I think it's also about tone setting. So at the moment, we have a lot of community-based action that's really leading the charge. We have local councils across Australia declaring a climate emergency and doing wonderful things for climate action. But really, what is a federal government for if not setting the tone and taking a strong stance when we need them to? And at the moment, we're not seeing that at all. Mm. And so um, if you have your hands on one of those petitions urging the government to take urgent action on the climate emergency, you should return them to 12 Liverpool Street, Macquarie, ACT 2614. Shannon, just one last question before, um, yep. before I let you go for the morning to prepare for, you, for the rest of your walk today. Yep. Um, and it's a bit of a cheeky one. How are you voting on the 18th? How am I voting? Well, primarily I'm voting with the climate in mind. Um, I will say that like this project, I've tried to keep it as non-partisan mm. as 
possible just so I can have conversations with anyone and everyone and people don't feel rubbed the wrong way. Mm. Um, I'm voting in Wills, um, and I will be voting for the Greens um, because they're the only ones that have the, the policies that are taking the climate emergency as seriously as it needs to be taken. Uh, but I would urge anyone um, where there's a contest between Labour and Liberal to strongly consider Labour, um, because I think that the coalition is absolutely toxic on climate, and I'm not afraid to say that I think we need to take every last seat away from them and then stock the parliament with people who are actually at least ready to begin a sensible conversation around the climate emergency, and that doesn't include the coalition anymore. They had their chance and they failed, in my mind. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Um, if folks want to follow your progress, you're, you're tweeting prolifically at ExtremelyMy on Twitter. Otherwise, mm. they can find you on, uh, online at MyExtremelyLongWalk.com. Uh, Shannon, if there's one more thing that you want to say to, to our listeners, um, what would you like to say? I would just say the federal election's coming up, and like I said, we've got to set the tone right, and I think that's about voting primarily with the climate in mind. So whatever seat you're voting in this election, do your research and and don't don't be fed lies and don't be fed how to vote cards. Think for yourself and, and vote with the climate in mind. Uh, I've been speaking to Shannon Lochnane, um, who is currently around Batlow and has been walking from Coburg North all the way to Canberra um, to encourage action on climate Shannon, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Right now, I'm going to play a song. This is Little Quirks, I Told You So. Wednesday Breakfast, that was I Told You So by Little Quirks. Uh, just to give you the weather, uh, we're going to look at a top of 17 with a shower or two clearing. It's going to be cloudy with a medium 60% chance of showers, increasing to a very high chance in the outer eastern suburbs at first. Then showers clearing during the afternoon. Winds will be mild, 25 to 35 k's, becoming light in the evening, then becoming northerly, 15 to 20 k's in the late evening. Thanks, Will. It's 8 o'clock now, and we're going into our next interview. We have Haley on the line from Frontline Action on Coal, a little group up in Queensland and actually all around Australia, um, kind of doing some wonderful work in environmentalism, uh, bringing it to the national agenda. So good morning, Haley. Good morning, Ivan. How are you today? Oh, very good, thank you. Um, could we kind of talk about with Frontline Action on Coal, just a little bit of an introduction. Obviously, you guys are a cool um, environmentalist group out there doing the good good fight. Uh, yeah, could you give us a bit more details? Yeah, so um, Black now has groups right around the country, um, but our main campaign at the moment is up here on the front lines of the Adani fight. So we have a camp um, that we live at, um, which is, uh, about halfway between Bowen and Collinsville in central mm-hmm. Queensland. Um, and like there's lots of groups who are working on the Abani campaign all around the country, but our niche is really um, through civil resistance and non-violent direct action, um, helping support um, and facilitate communities to actually stand up and um, fight back against like, destructive, destructive projects. 
Definitely. And kind of looking at, uh, we, we have a lot of, I was saying before, we have a lot of, uh, people who come on and talk about Adani and why it's so bad and why it's, it's, it's such a bad idea for Australia. Could you kind of emphasize why flak is so against it? Yeah. I mean, Definitely, and just referring to your non-protest, sorry, your protest means through this non-violence kind of, you know, civil disobedience, civil activism sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I see that recent actions have included things like uh, the Abbott Point die-in. What, what is the kind of the symbolism and significance of these movements? Um, I, I think it's showing, you know, it's demonstrating to the opposition. It's diverse. Um, it's inclusive. We are letting them know that. We are still here, we're not going away. And we're also trying to really encapture that and show them physically that they're doing stuff on it. You know, there's a whole bunch of sea creatures there who are really struggling and dying on the road and, and actually showing the workers and, and investors um, and, and our government, you know, most importantly, that this is physically what they're doing to our oceans. Um, Haley, we're still just getting a little bit of interference on the mic. Could could you just uh, speak a little bit softer and closer to the, the phone microphone? Sorry, we're just having a bit of trouble. Yeah. No worries. Wonderful. And obviously, um, there are a lot of different groups kind of addressing Adani at the moment, uh, and FLAC seems, to, FLAC seems to be one of them. Uh, what collaborative projects have you entered into with other groups around you? Well, at the moment, we're in the middle of our month of uh, action and music and art. Um, which is called the Last Climate Code Red, and we've collaborated with a bunch of other groups, including local Stop Adani group, um, the Bob Brown Foundation on the Convoy, which recently came up here, um, Extinction Rebellion, Reef Action with Sundays, which is our local group, as well as Reef Defenders. So we work with a whole bunch of other groups in this area. Wonderful. And what, what do you think the strength is coming out of this collaborative kind of uh, collaborative effort, I suppose? Uh, I, I, I don't know, I just think that we really like Adani and the coal industry, coal industry in general are losing their social life and, and um, you know, I think if we can join as a force to take this on, because what we're up against is enormous, you know, mm, and the, the resources industry backed by, in, within this region, backed by, you know, nearly every level of government, mm. um, and we really need to combine to just, you know, take this on. And have you found the community within the area has been receptive to some of these protests, or uh, have you have you been met with local resistance? Look, we definitely have mixed reactions. Mm. Um, and Adani has had about eight years within the local community here um, with their propaganda and spruiking the benefits that ah. have never come. Um, 
a lot of the local community are starting to realise that. And um, I think what we do see here is that there is a small minority of very, very vocal um, supporters for Danny. Right, right. So I suppose it's about consolidating that group and just growing your base. Um, just, yes. yeah, just in general terms of obviously leading up to the larger thing we're facing, the election, and the fact that both of our main parties have not provided suitable or adequate addresses to Adani, uh, how do we kind of, how do we push this? I mean, this is being referred to as the climate change election, and I'm going to keep stressing that leading up to the very day. How, how do we get this on people's minds? It's just, taxes seem to be the only rhetoric we hear out there. Well, how do we get climate change mm. sexy enough to be on mainstream policy? Mm, yes. Um, and and I, I totally understand the frustration. Like, I don't know why we're talking about taxes when, you know, the IPCC has given us 12 years to turn this around. Um, I, I, think that, I think that what we're going to see and what we need more of is things like um, extension of values actually taking to the city and showing big mass demonstrations of civil resistance that we cannot continue with business as usual. We actually need the general public to be waking up, using their votes, um, and beyond the election, you know, I, I hope we can maintain and build momentum beyond that because if you're going to go beyond the election, like you've just mentioned, I neither, neither of the two major parties are really offering this solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to continue past that and actually add things up a bit because you know, when we're not seeing this kind of change we need, the kind of change we do need is unprecedented, and mm-hmm. they're really going to have to work hard and, and organise and collaborate and push for that. Well, thank you so much, Haley, for those concluding thoughts. I really appreciate you coming on the show and just giving us an update leading into the election and obviously of what you guys do at FLAC. Um, hopefully we'll get you back on at some time to talk about it, continue the conversation. Beautiful. Thanks very much, Ivan. And if people want to stay up to date with what we're doing, they can just jump on frontlineaction.org and, um, yeah, follow all the news. Fantastic. We'll make sure to put that in our description if you're interested in getting involved. Thank you again, Hayley. Beautiful. Thank you. Have a great day. You are listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We'll be right back. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. We appreciate like you mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know, it's very good. It keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of her we can, yeah. I wanna be a better, better man, yeah. Because of her we can. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know. 
rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. When I first come to this show, I was about 10 years ago, and I was a young one. I wait for young ones come off the truck there the other day, and... They call me Auntie Marlene, so it helped me recognise and realise that I pulled myself up like, yeah. They're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. My name is Ruby Susan Mount. My pronouns are they. You're listening to 3CR Radical Radio, and that was Binde with Stella, Rosie, and Claudia on. Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking at Me and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corbenti. Did you miss our 12 hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Uh, we have a quick community announcement going on. Uh, tonight, from 5 o'clock to 7.30, the Community Yarning Election Forum will be held uh, by the Aborigines Advancement League at 2 Watt Street, Thornbury. So that's 2 W-A-T-T. Um, and no, this is not about knitting, like I thought. This is about chatting what's going to be needed coming up to the election. It's going to be a super cute, super great um, event going on, so definitely get down to it. I'll just repeat the details for you. It was 5 o'clock to 7.30 to Watt Street, Thornbury, hosted by the Aborigines Advancement League. So, yeah. Fantastic. And as I'm aware, um, it's a community-organised um, event where First Nations people are bringing their opinions. Um, mm-hmm. Allies are welcome but it is for the First Nations people to speak their their point of view. So um so we're expect uh, we're invited as as guests and as audience. Um I might also mention um that there's a donations campaign for the conversation happening right now. The conversation is first of all fully unionized, but also <laughs> a fantastic source for um news and analysis and opinion and um you know I I refer to it quite a lot and I, f- I figure a lot of our listeners do it as well. You can follow them on Twitter at ConversationEDU, um, and you can also make a donation to this valuable online media, uh, digital uh, journalism space at the website donate.theconversation.com, um, and your donation is tax deductible. So if you make a donation more than $2, hang on to the receipt, and um, you can take that off your, your taxable income. So mm. yeah, that's a little something. Uh, now, talking about unionism, uh, let's move on to our next interview. Um, neoliberal... Education policy and money-grubbing bosses mean that the casualisation of work has long since spread to universities, and at places like the University of Melbourne, casual tutors, lecturers and other staff are treated punitively, losing access to all sorts of benefits 
and also to staff email accounts between semesters, which is surprising to me. Um, we have NTEU Victoria Division Secretary Dr Melissa Slee on the line to talk about the conditions that casual staff face and how they can fight for their rights. Um, Dr Melissa Slee, are you on the line there? Yes, I am. Hello, Will. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us on Wednesday Breakfast. Let's get straight into it. Um, sure. So casual work is marked by instability and lack of benefits and a few workplace protections. How how can a union help people um, fight for their rights? Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, with higher education, you were just sort of talking about um, uh, the scale of the issue in higher ed. So at Melbourne Uni, as an example, 72% of staff are on insecure contracts, so either fixed-term contracts or casual contracts. Uh, you know, that's the big picture uh, issue that we've got to tackle. Um, but um, you know, and that's uh, you know uh, uh, kind of thing you need to tackle via enterprise bargaining. And you know, Salomon Matters, of course, the big change the rules rallies. Um, and then there's the, the smaller stuff that you know embedded within that insecure work is the day-to-day scramble really um in higher education it's like um you know uh casuals having to kind of scrabble about for uh money to pay for their own work with children's checks uh trying to get the resources they need day to day to actually have a computer and a desk uh and even sort of chasing up wages that they haven't been paid for uh and so how do we do that uh i think there's a couple of things well that um Casuals today at Melbourne Uni are showing us some, <laughs> putting on a good show, which is to have a sit in and a speak out, actually expose the scandal, bring it to the, uh, bring it to the surface. I think another thing that I've been really inspired by, which I think we all need to think about, is the role of those of us who are on continuing contracts. Uh, you know, those of us in more secure work really need to show our solidarity. Um, so insecure workers need to know that they've got the support of those of us who, who are, you know, more able to speak out. Absolutely. Um, and so in that spirit, there's going to be a, as you said, a sit in and speak out. Um, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that casual workers are walking, walking off the job? What, what's the, what's the meaning of this? Uh, it's more, uh, there's not industrial action involved today. It's no. more just, uh, uh, you know, pulling everyone together, uh, to, to speak out and to actually, uh, expose the issues, uh, that they're addressing. So, um, you know, that, that's not industrial action, but I think it's really important for building the confidence of casuals. The difficulty insecure workers have, of course, is their isolation. Uh, you know, everyone's sort of battling on their own, wondering, is it me? Is it me? Uh, when we pull everyone together, they, you know, they can get a sense of a collective, uh, uh, of a collective grievance. So I think that's a really important aspect of today's speak out. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, can I ask you, is the improvement of, um, workplace standards for casual workers at Melbourne Uni is that something that can be fought for in isolation, or do we really need a, a system-wide change across higher education? Uh, I think um, uh, yeah, it's a good question because it's kind of what are we actually fighting for? Are we fighting for secure jobs or for a better better circumstance for those in insecure work? It's kind of we wind up being in kind of two different streams, don't we? Sort of riding two horses. Mm. Uh, I think both need to happen really, uh, and for my money. Um, Something the NTU is working towards uh, is really, you know, a national 
campaign uh, around casualisation of the sector as a whole. Uh, in, in the lead up to that, I think that we need to um, have, have actions like today, which are actually continually raising, um, raising the detail of the grievance. <laughs> People need to know that a lot of casuals um, are not getting paid. Uh, for the work that they're doing, uh, I think we saw in the paper recently that uh, you know Shan was Shan Winscrept, who was in the um, in the Age with the Starvation Wages article. She was earning three hundred dollars a week for twenty hours of work. Uh, you know, because she because she simply wasn't getting paid for how long it takes her to produce a quality lecture, to produce a quality tutorial. You know, that kind of um, detail is what everyone needs to know so that when we go to take on the big, big picture uh, items, uh, people know exactly what we're combating. Mm. And so for, for those people at um, Melbourne Uni, people on longer or more secure contracts, they need to show up um, in solidarity with casual staff. Um, how and where can they do this? Uh, well, the speak-out is happening at uh, Raymond Priestley Building. Um, people at Melbourne Uni will know where that is, <laughs> the Raymond Priestley mm. Building on the Parkville campus, uh, and it's 12 till 1.30 p.m. today, so around lunchtime. Um, yeah, so around lunchtime today at the Raymond Priestley Building. Fantastic. 12 till 1.30. Beautiful. And we'll be following uh, the um, uh, developments. If people want to follow um, the, the work that the NTEU does, um, where can we find you folks? Uh, probably the funnest place to go is our Facebook page, the division. Uh, so t- throw in NTEU and Facebook and you'll find the Victoria Division uh, Facebook pa- uh, post. Uh, also, of course, they should join the union. Um, <laughs> we send out newsletters all the time uh, to our members. Uh, so keep, uh, if they sign up, they'll get emails regularly. Absolutely. Sounds like great advice. Um, we've been speaking <laughs> to the NTEU Victoria Division Secretary, Dr. Melissa Slee. Uh, Dr. Slee, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, great. Thank you. Good on you, Will. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We'll be right back. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1800 542 847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. 
You're listening to 3CR. We're going to throw to a song now. This is by a, a Norway artist called um, Aurora. And this song is called Warrior. Now, she wrote this song in the idea that warriors are usually associated with anger, violence, that sort of thing. But she says emotions are the coolest thing out there. So she's very much a warrior of love. Um, I love it. I hope you enjoy the song as well. We'll have it now. And that was Warrior by Aurora. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. The time right now is 8.28. And uh, let's do a quick wrap-up of the show. We were just speaking to Dr. Melissa Slee, who is the NTEU Victorian Division Secretary, uh, and at 8 o'clock. Then we had uh, Haley from uh, FLAC, uh, which is a great little environmentalist group going up there. Frontline Action on Coal. Uh, at 7.45, we spoke to Shannon, who's currently in Batlow, walking from Coburg to Canberra for climate action. And then at 7.30, we had Marty and Wes in uh, Marty O'Connor from the MEAA and Wes Mountain from The Conversation talking about unionising digital workplaces. And then 7.15, we spoke to James Brennan on the I Choose Human campaign. I am grateful for the fact that next week we're going to have new hosts and I'm so Yay. excited. How about you? I'm grateful for the environmentalist groups and the push for climate change this election. I think it's great to see such a youth movement coming mm. out of it and just such a joint movement by so many different groups here. Definitely. I'm also thankful, just a big shout out to Earth Matters who came first before our show even started. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fantastic content. Half it's an hour of great environmental news yeah. um, every every morning before us. Every morning before us. Lovely starting the day off like that. Talking about starting the day off, hope you have a wonderful start to the day and we'll talk to you next week. Next up, stick together. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.